Good day and welcome to episode 155 of the Effect Podcast, The New Seekers. I'm Dave. And I'm Matthew. And as usual, we have a packed episode for you. <laughs> you know, one uh, day, one day we're going to have to say, well, afraid to say we've got a bit of a shit empty episode <laughs> this week, but... Um, <laughs> I've got nothing, mate. I've got nothing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Role-playing games? What the hell are those? Don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Boring. Maybe one day we should just give ourselves a bit of a holiday and uh, not prepare anything, not do any interviews or anything, and just start off with the I've got nothing episode. But maybe we should do this for the 150th episode. I think that's... Yeah. Okay, right. Shall we Shall we quickly move on and let me tell you what we've got in the programme today? Yes, swiftly. Because what we have in the programme today is we've got new patrons to thank, of course. They keep coming. And these <laughs> are some lovely people. Um uh, at least one of whom has really dived into the community, so that's uh, that's really special. Um, we've also got uh, World of Gaming, of course, and our news is um, yeah, it goes right across. But we're going to start off with some interesting news about Forbid- uh, Forbidden Lands, no, about the Free League, <laughs> uh, and then we're going to talk about isn't, isn't the- that isn't that the problem of having FL as your shorthand for Free League and Forbidden Lands? It's a, it is. A that nightmare. is the problem. That's why uh, <laughs> cleverer podcasters like us, uh, like than us, like Matt K, call it FBL uh, <laughs> yeah. to differentiate between the two. But I, I kind of go, well, you know, why, why B? Why, why not FOL or um, FNL, uh, Forbidden Lands? <laughs> Anyway, uh, moving on, moving on, uh, you've got some homework and your homework was all about the skill set in Alien RPG That's and right. how it fits into longer term colony campaigns. Or, or, general, or general campaigns, n- actually. Yeah, just in oh, yeah, or, yeah, skills. But uh, in uh, cam- the, 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 our recent experience is all about the colony campaign, which of I course. hope you're all following on YouTube. And... So I'm very interested to hear what you've got to say about that. And I immediately have a retort ready as soon as you've said it. You always have a retort. That's fine. I'm used to it. Right. And then actually, for some of you, that might be the end of the episode. If you don't want to be spoiled for certain things that are happening in the Mercy of the Icons campaign, then spoiler warning, spoiler warning. We will end the episode there. We'll do the full thing. We'll tell you about what we're doing next, uh, next episode. We'll run the credits. But if those of you who are in the know want to stay on beyond the credits, you can hear my homework, which is about that sect known as the Seekers. And uh, Dave and I will probably have a bit of a chat about that afterwards, and then we'll uh, say goodbye again. As a, but the Seekers, as opposed to the New Seekers, which is obviously your favourite group and band, isn't it, Matthew, from the what, no, 70s? No, well, uh, actually, we, we discussed this before we started recording, <laughs> and the only one who knows the lyrics to any of their songs is you, Dave. <laughs> so, <laughs> Yeah, but that's not my fault. That's my parents' fault for playing tapes of them that... You could hear anywhere in the house when I was seven <laughs> years old. So, I uh, confused them with the Brotherhood of Man, so uh, I, well, I'm okay. But if you are worse. of a certain generation, <laughs> you'll know what this whole New Seekers episode is all about uh, anyway. Uh, but the rest of you will be going, the New Seekers? What? Who? Google it, mate. Google it. Google <laughs> is your friend. Um, or YouTube it even. They might even have their music on YouTube. I suspect there's lots on YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. Right, so that's it. That is... What's happening this episode? Carefully explained, succinctly, and to the point. (laughs) 
not not with any kind of you know ambiguity or talking over each other or anything you know it's no no professionals mate we're professionals right then let's move on to um who are our new patrons this week matt Right, well, we've got, um, at the last count, actually, I do normally check on the day before, but I don't think we've had any more. Uh, but the last time I checked, we have three new patrons. Excellent. And they are Mohammed El Dakak, who is already on our Discord as Dido Dido. Um, yeah, and, welcome, uh, I, welcome. I'm especially welcome to Mohammed because he lives in Cairo, so he is our first patron from the continent of africa and also i think i think if i'm right he came to us he's he came to us by um alien wasn't it? Alien, alien the colony he was watching yes uh, yes and then I, uh, uh, on youtube and then that led him into uh, us as a podcast and that led him to very kindly join us as a patron and it's great to have him aboard and as you said earlier matthew um he's really got stuck into the group and the community and is uh yeah is, is adding loads it's, it's great thank you for joining us Brilliant. I'm going to try and persuade him to join uh, at least one of the stories of the Coriolis campaign as well. Yeah, cool. Excellent. We also have William Payne. Welcome. And Dean Morrissey. Brilliant. Welcome, Dean. It's great. I mean, it's great to have everybody aboard. We say this every time. Um, we, can't, we can't do all the stuff that we do without the great help and um, support of all our patrons. And obviously the contribution, because um, yeah, we have a really lovely little Discord, which is really quite active. We have a lot of games that people are running. There's playtests. There's stuff that we run on YouTube, which uh, is available to all our patrons. So come along and join us. And thank you to um, to our new uh, our new members. Yeah, and we do. We we really appreciate your uh, interactivity on the Discord and elsewhere. Uh, but we also appreciate the money. And I just want to say that you know one of the little things that we've spent a bit of money on that we would not have spent were it not for our patrons, is we've subscribed to Sesh, which we've been using on its free service to organise games on the Discord. Yeah. Uh, but now we've got the non-free service. And that's a little luxury, a little bit of a convenience to all our patrons that comes directly out of their support. So yeah, thank absolutely. you again very much for that. Now, uh, moving on to the world of gaming. Shall we move on? Yeah, let's move on. Let's move on to the world of gaming. And we could talk... First of all, this was an interesting little news item that I saw on N-World, E-N-World. Um, they had uh, totaled up what all the uh, publishers had made in terms of cashy money mm -hmm. on Kickstarter. And the most successful RPG publisher in terms of money made over the campaigns they've run on Kickstarter are oh. your friends and mine, the Free League. Indeed. How, how epic is that? Um, what um, what period are they covering? Is this just in the history of? I think this is in the history. Now you're going to make me look it up again, aren't you? Um, just to <laughs> come up with the facts. I because but I, I, but I, I assume though. I mean, because I mean, the One Ring was that the biggest RPG Kickstarter ever? Um, um, I think it was the second biggest. So but, this is actually one of the interesting things. One of the reasons why they're so successful is they've done about 25 Kickstarters. <laughs> they, are and, pro they are prolific, aren't they? I mean, it's... Yes, and I think the very biggest one is a Matt Mercer... Um, oh, God, it's, it's already disappeared down the, down the news list. There's so much news. Uh -huh. uh, there we go. Um, so this came out on the 13th. Um, 
and obviously the one ring is their biggest uh th- th- the biggest yeah. one of theirs but um i think you'll find matt colville did strongholds and streaming and he's only done two uh kickstarters entirely but he's earned three and a half million dollars off that. Uh, right. yeah. whereas for the free leagues 25 they've earned 7.8 million dollars <laughs> and um monty cook uh, or Monty Cook Games, I should say, because uh, that includes Shauna, his wife, and a whole team of people. They're yeah. the people behind Numenera and the Cypher system. They've only done 19, and they've got $6.6 million. Right, so okay. they need yeah. to do you know, a few more, and I'm sure they'd overtake Free League. <laughs> yeah, well, if, if you can't keep the pace up, then you know, you're know you not going to be on the top <laughs> of that list. And, so and Free, Free League... League, damn them, they're keeping the pace up. So. Well, well, they are. I mean, you know, it's... They've talked to us before and said that they've had to drop a number of uh, cherished projects that they really want to push through simply because they then have had to stop themselves and say, "Guys, we can't do all of this. <laughs> we've got to we've got to limit ourselves somewhere." But that limit is obviously still pretty high, and they're pushing through stuff at a at a, at a frantic pace. Yeah. So right now, of course, they're doing the five E version of Simbaroom, the ruins of Simbaroom. Ruins of Simbaroom. Yeah. Uh, a couple of hours ago, and that seems to be doing quite well. Uh, let's have a look at that. Yeah, that's... Ooh, it's just gone up a bit more. Uh, £239,000, that is, in our money. Um, so with, uh, with 13 days to go and 2,600 backers. So that's pretty good, actually, I think. That's yeah. pretty good. Um, and that's more than 10 times their funding goal. But, of course, we know Freedly set their funding goals quite low. Yeah. Um, but I think they should be pleased with that. It's I think it's not it's not the one ring in terms of success. But the important thing is it's bringing I hope a whole bunch of people who haven't heard of free league games, but D and D players, into the world of free league. I, I suspect this is a, a thin end of the wedge thing. So I, I suspect a lot of those backers are are, are people who are already familiar with Simbaroom. Um mm. but. I do know that there are a number of 5e players who are interested in the Simbroom setting and are coming to Simbroom for the first time, thanks to this. And like I said, thin end of the wedge. You get a few people in, you start spreading the news, and yeah, this this could well be the first step to um, to Simbroom 5e going a very long way. Yeah. Um, uh, and while we're, while we're talking about Kickstarter, I did just want to mention it looks like... Uh, uh, Temples and Tombs is going to be delivering at least their their PDF version soon. Yeah, they've just asked for everybody to say confirm whether their email address is the same one they use on Drive Through. So I'm expecting an email from Drive Through shortly for that one. So that's a really quick turnaround um, from um, Christopher Gray there. Yeah, on a you know a new non free league Year Zero engine game that I'm eager to get to the table. Indeed. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm quite, I haven't, you know, looked into it. I, I backed it kind of on the, on the strength of, of one of our podcasts. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm really interested to see how it turns out. And we cool. should get that in the next, well, I mean, ideally, potentially in the next week or so. Yeah, I think so. I think quite shortly. Um, what else have we got? Uh, Kickstarter troubleshooters is still taking its time coming in, but they're keeping us well informed. 
So I only say well, this because Matt, Dave was saying, we haven't heard anything from them since Christmas. You're just, you're just setting me up for a fall there, mate. <laughs> so I, before we recorded, I was saying, yes, let's talk about troubleshooters because it should have delivered before Christmas and we haven't heard anything. And then we had a quick look and I went, oh, yeah, we have heard. Um, and we've heard that. And oh, actually, yeah, we heard something three weeks ago. Uh, so I was completely wrong. Um, it's just my <laughs> senior moment of totally over, uh, wiping out any memory of having the feedback from from troubleshooters. We know that um, Krista had an accident. Hope he's all um, well and uh, hail and hearty again now. Um, I, I guess the thing this indicates for me anyway is how keen I am to get my hands on troubleshooters. Yes. Um, so I'm chomping at the bit uh, to to get a good look at that. So uh, that's a, so 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 my my kind of um, inappropriate grumpiness uh, and inaccurate grumpiness is a sign of of it's a positive sign because it's it, it's showing how keen I am to get my hands on the game. Yes, yeah, and me too. That's, and me that's too. How I'm, that's how I'm spinning it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, right, shall we talk about some other new things? So I believe, and we should check this out and put it in the show notes, uh, that Change Stars has launched. No, I don't think it's up now, but I think it will be up in three or four days. Right, so, so tell me, since you know so much about it, tell uh, me about Change Stars then, Dave. I, I don't know a lot more about it than that. Um, I've been following... <laughs> um, so uh, Pat Long is uh, from Diesel Shot. Uh, on YouTube, I think they are rather than uh, or um, Twitch or YouTube. But Twitch, anyway, yeah. Diesel Shot are streamers. Uh, yeah. You've been in one of their games, haven't you? Or run a game for them? I've I've run games where Pat's been along. Have I been? No. Well, yeah. So I was uh, I was lucky enough to be invited onto an alien panel that Pat ran. Oh, last, that was last it. Yes. year. Um, I was that, also that invited was onto that panel, but I thought they only needed to hear one of our voices. Yeah, and obviously the the better one of those would be me, of course. So, uh, that's well, fine. yeah, well, it's just you know I'd other stuff to do. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, yeah, so you've been on a panel with Pat. Uh, Pat is a big fan of Alien. We're going to yeah. interview her, I think, in the next episode. Um, without wanting to spoil the end of this episode, <laughs> where we tell you what we're going to do in the next episode. And and Change <laughs> Stars started out as a, what if people could play other sorts of aliens in Alien? I think it's moved on quite a bit from mm. uh, uh, the Free League engine now. So I think it's its own thing. But uh, we'll find out more from Pat. When, yeah, I, um, I, hadn't, I hadn't thought it was a Year Zero game, but I could have. I don't. I haven't spoken to Pat about it, so I don't know. Um, yeah, might, no, it's not. It's, I, I, I did confirm with her. It, she's not marketing it as a Year Zero game, but its genesis was in Alien. So I yeah. think we'll see a lot of similarities. Cool, cool. Yeah, and I've been following. So, so Pat does a lot of um, her own artwork. It's it's really good stuff. She did a lovely. Um, that was it. I did. I did, was involved in a game. Yes, because she um, had a portrait of you. Yeah, she did a portrait of resemblance my, of my character. Of somebody a lot better looking than you. Yeah, well, that's true. I have, as 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 our friend Andy says, I have a face for radio. Um, <laughs> so, um, so she's done loads of artwork. She's doing a lot of the artwork for the game itself. Uh, it's brilliant stuff. It's really nice. It's really, really evocative. Um, and I've been following some of that on on Facebook. Uh, she puts posts and updates on there. So yeah, I'm really interested to find out more about it. And I, you know, I'm I'm very interested in science fiction games. I have a nascent idea um, of something which which for me would pull out 
certain elements of sci-fi that I I particularly love and I don't feel other games necessarily focus on. But I'll be really interested to hear what um, what Change Stars is going to be all about. Now, if you're if you're interested in science fiction games, as you just said, less than one minute thirty eight seconds ago, um, <laughs> then you'll be interested in the Dune RPG. I am actually interested in or the, the Dune, Dune RPG. RPG, depending on how you pronounce it. Dune. Come on. Dune. Okay, this is going to be Feng Shui Feng Shui all over again. Isn't it? <laughs> Well, no, but feng, feng Shui Feng Shui is different to Dune Dune, I think. Because that's a, <laughs> is that's it? A, is it really? That's a, that's a dialect difference. So <laughs> rather than a, a debate about pronunciation. Okay. Anyway, so anyway. Um, it's out in PDF. Um, a lot of our patrons are very excited about it. I'm playing in a game on Sunday. Are you playing that game too? No. I don't think oh. I am. Well, you might want to check that out because I think our friend Thomas is running it, who has if been he, running a very successful Vason Mythic Japan uh, sequence of games. I would he very much to, like to be involved, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, well, uh, he's, he's put it in session stuff. I don't know oh, whether okay. there's any players. Maybe I have. Maybe I have. I, do you want me to look up on Sesh? Because we, you know, now we do have uh, the full paid version of Sesh. It's all very easy to find. <laughs> Go um, on there. <laughs> Uh, uh, we might want, you know, you might want to edit out some of this like internal effect admin um, when it comes. <laughs> I'm not sure our listeners want to listen to all of this. And Dune has got two attendees. Me and Mohammed are playing in Dune, but you're not. Just Let's... press the tick button, Dave. Just press the tick button. There you are. Hey, well woo, go me. Yeah, well, so um, as 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 our patrons know, um, I'm not the best with uh, technology. No. Um, even stuff where you just have to click a button. So, uh, yeah. but yeah, okay, yeah. So, I've, and that's I've... that's why you run Google's UK operations, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, indeed. I get paid very, very in well your day job. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I've I've pre-ordered Dune. I've got the um the the PDF. I haven't had a chance to sit down and actually read through it yet. Yes, it's two D twenty system, which in its base I don't mind. I think the problem that sorry, Modiphius. I think my concern about Modiphius is. 2D games is they are way too long and a lot of the stuff is could be much slicker and simpler and it would be better for it. Um, but the actual So when you say they're the, way too long, you mean the rules are way too long. There's a lot to read for what's actually at its heart of a well, basic I, Well, system. I think the, the, the things like the, um, uh, you know, the, the talent system and all of, all of those things, not only are they written in a in a in a in a way that could be more succinct um they are i found anyway this is my experience with star trek adventures which you know i've loved playing it but it, despite the, the what i think are the other other slight flaws um uh, these these abilities are so situational that you never fucking use them and to get and if you did use them it's kind of like meh what's the point it, it's really quite boring um so I feel, because I found with Star Trek, I would come back to it, you know, a week or two weeks after the last game, and I would get my character sheet out, and I loved my character, Captain Sulu, uh, yeah, the grand, the grandson of of Hikaru, absolutely loved it, and I go, oh yeah, okay, let's remind myself what my what my abilities do. I read the book and go, oh okay, mm, all right, then. okay, all right, I won't bother worrying about those then. <laughs> so I think there's things there about player engagement with some of those abilities that it misses out on. 
Uh, that's my bigger concern. It's the wider elements of the rules rather than the actual core system, which I think the 2D20 system with momentum is fine. I quite like that. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of threat. I know it's very much like darkness points, which is absolutely fine. Um, but yeah, so. But I'm looking forward to June. Um, the, the, the feedback we've had from Thomas, who's been looking through obviously in advance of the game, has been very positive. And uh, I think Thomas is a very good uh, insightful analyst of uh, games and mechanics. So, um, you know, his, his views carry quite a lot of weight, I think. Um, I'm quite interested to have a good look at the house management system and creation system and how the house itself works in the game. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> now, okay. now, that, now that I know I'm in it. So... <laughs> Excellent. Well, yeah. yes, now that you signed up for it, hooray. Um, we'll report back on that in our next episode, I'm sure, and say yeah. how well we thought it went. Um, the other thing that uh, is now out in PDF format is the beta of uh, Twilight 2000. Yeah, indeed. And uh, uh, our friend Andy has got plans to run that, um, which might be quite ambitious. But uh, but we might stream some episodes of that if Andy's ambitions um, bear fruit. Anything yeah, you want to say about T2K beta? Um, I haven't looked at it in great detail. I think the well, I think the um, the world at war and that background material has landed better than the alpha versions did. Mm -hmm. um, still interested to see. I guess as you'd expect. There's quite a lot of picking apart specific little bits. I saw a quite a long comment on the Free League forum about some of it, which was all very constructive. But again, it's very much, you know, it's one person's opinion against another person's opinion. You have to take a punt and go with something. Mm. Um, you can't satisfy everybody. I haven't had a chance to look at the revised rules yet. I know Andy has. There's been a few suggestions. I think it looks like Free League have, have taken a lot of the feedback they got from Alpha and have really, you know, genuinely considered it all in, uh, you know, in detail and with a real view to um, changing. They've been open to changing the Alpha rules very much based on player feedback. So I think that's great, which is really good. And I think they're having quite a few changes. Um, but I don't know what they are because I haven't had a chance to look at it in any detail yet. No, no. And we've got plenty to look at in detail, haven't we? But, uh, so <laughs> we've got I think, tons. Um, uh, not least of which, um, Toto, but before we talk about Tales of the Old West, shall we briefly mention uh, the remarkable success we've had based on a conversation that you and I had in the last episode? Go on then. You you mentioned that um, that I believe our friend Andy, uh, he of T two K fame, was a mostly adequate oh, yeah. GM. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wonder what you I wonder where you were going with this comment for a moment. <laughs> and our patrons <laughs> demanded a T shirt uh, that uh, instead of our "That's why I'm the best GM" T shirt, they wanted to see one that said "That's why I'm a mostly adequate GM." <laughs> so, and obviously, you know. When our patrons call, I answer. So um, we will put links in the show notes to the Redbubble store where you can get be your own proud or maybe modest wearer of a <laughs> yes. That's Why I'm a Mostly Adequate GM t-shirt. Yes. 
Uh, and there is still on offer the That's Why I'm the Best GM t-shirt. And I've um, also redone our mask. Um, yeah, okay, I'm cool. smiling because I listen to a fat podcast. Um, just uh, they, uh, I noticed that Redbubble have, have created a better mask than the previous ones that we uh, created right. at the start of this pandemic. And the pandemic's still going on. We don't, we don't, uh, there's no markup on the mask. There is a little small markup on the t-shirts and stuff. So you are supporting us when you buy a t-shirt. But you're supporting us when you buy a mask as well because you're wearing our brand on <laughs> your face. Yes. Should that be something you wish to do? So, <laughs> uh, so anyway, I will put a link into the Redbubble store or a cool. whole bunch of links of different items into the show notes when this comes out. Uh, Toto, though, we, we've also been working hard this week on Tales of the Old West. What have we been yes. doing? Well, for, for, for a while now, we've been trying to find the, the bandwidth to really have a, a good go at version f well, 0 0.4, I guess. Um, mm. And having, despite a few um, unfortunate distractions this week, um, I've been able to spend most of the week looking at that. It, naturally enough, it's quite slow progress, um, but there is definitely progress. So... We are, I am um, specifically looking at going through the old version three, making the amendments to the rules that we've um, we've found from playtesting, um, mm -hmm. making a few amendments to rules that we haven't necessarily had a chance to playtest very much, but just on reflection, possibly need a, a little bit of a change. Um, and I'm working all through that at the moment. I won't get it finished this week, but hopefully in the next couple of weeks, we will get ourselves to a pretty good version 0 0.4. Um, but you had a, a really good idea, didn't you, Matthew? And I know I don't yes. say that. I don't say that very often because, frankly, <laughs> yeah, it's not I had right, a really good very, idea about massively often. simplifying the posse rules. Uh, but no, that's uh, that's not the idea you were talking no, and I, about. No, and I think actually we were both coming to that conclusion. Actually, um, and yeah. I, and I think before you said that, I said I think we should change it into a sidekick or kind of rule rather than a posse rule. Yeah. Um, so and we now have the compadre. Um, so yeah, but that's not the. So the idea we've had actually for version zero point four is we want to get more of our patrons uh, playtested. This at the moment our um, medium level patrons get playtest copies of this, um, and they they've passed comment and stuff like that. But I'd, I'd love to see them sitting down and playing a game. So I think we will do effectively two books. Um, or two PDFs, obviously. We're, we're in this sort of in this next version, yeah. <clears throat> so we're going to have uh, the quick draw uh, version, mm -hmm. which is going to have all the basic rules and very simple character creation, so you can have a go and and you're going to convert one of the adventures that you've been doing for the playtests into something yep. that people can use, and there will be a playable, simple to run system um, in one. Uh, PDF, which is yeah. So, so, so basically, what we'll do is <clears throat> put the absolute bare minimum rules to run an event or an encounter in and around a, a, a Wild West town, without all the other sort of backup rules to go with it. Simply yes. so you can go out there and draw your gun and shoot a few people. Yes, uh, and if you want to, um, it, the, so the more, um, shall we? I guess in a way, sort of campaigny rules like building the town. Yeah. Running, running your outfit, um, doing the life path character creation. They'll then be in the second volume, um, which we haven't got a fancy name for, like Quick Draw yet. But we might come up with one. No. But I think I think the, the Quick Draw thing is going to be like a Quick Start set. Yes. Um, yes, exactly. And the <clears throat> the main rules will be the main the main core book. Yes. Um, um, so that's 
So that's that's uh, yeah, it's a really good idea because, like you say, we were talking about it the other day, and we would love more people to independently go and just play test some of these rules, and mm-hmm. then come back to us with their their thoughts and feedback, and maybe a you know, a barrier to people doing that is a book that's 120 pages long or however long the core book is at the moment with a lot of information. Yeah, and people and people are very busy. You know, finding yeah, time yeah. to do these things is is quite hard. Whereas if we can make it easier for people just to step straight in, I think what we might do is also stick in four or five pre-gen characters as well. So, well, yeah, so that's I've, I've already got some um, simple templates. So not quite pre-gen, but they limit, they give you, you know, do these things, make these choices, give yourself a name. So uh, character so, templates, as it were, <clears throat> rather than full pre-gens. Yeah. Yeah, okay, cool, cool. So, so I've got a range of those, one of each if you like class, although we don't have classes in this, no. um, that people can build theirs from. Choose one of, you know, these three talents and then go run with it. Yeah. Cool. So, yeah, that's, that's uh, what we're doing. Look out for those if you're interested. And we would love, um, you know, if any of our listeners are interested and haven't um, joined the patron yet, what uh, what level do you need to join? You need to, to join at the medium level. That's the $5 level if you right. want to get your hands on yeah. uh, this. Cool. Um, um, and this this will probably be ready. I suspect it might take us a few weeks, so it might be maybe by the end of May that'll be ready to be stuck up on the um, brilliant uh, yes. on the thing. Let's say you know, let's be realistic here because uh, we we've got some maps to make and obviously write up the scenario and things. Cool. And we're doing some work for Free League as well, um, so we've got to do all that. We are doing with a, bit a of work similar for Free deadline. League. Yeah, we are. I've also got work for Firelock still as well. It's ongoing. <laughs> um, Oh, and life. And yeah. you have got a job as well. So, and, I have, uh, and I have a job. Yeah, I know. Uh, yeah. There we, just, go. There we just, go. Just just talking earlier to Jenny about not doing that job anymore. But uh, but I'd have to do something else to earn yes. earn my corn whilst I'm earning very small corn for Yeah, i got to say, I um, although I'm grateful for the work that Free League have chucked our way, um, I do need to find another job. Yeah. Yes, still uh, a little way off making a making enough money <laughs> yes. to uh, to give up and do it for full time. Right, your homework. Yes, yeah, skills skills in an alien RPG campaign setting. There's been a lot of talk lately about campaign play in alien RPG and how well the game lends itself to that style of play. Above and beyond the unquestionably great job the system does for cinematic one-shots. The question is particularly pertinent with the impending arrival of the Colonial Marine Operations Manual that takes Alien into the combat campaign World of Aliens, as well as the ongoing campaign I've been running on the effects YouTube Alien the Colony is coming to its seventh episode. And while I think it's been going really well, with some great players getting really stuck in, it does obviously reflect the campaign feel I'm going for. Exploration, science, a bit of intrigue and infighting, and how the planet is a character in the story too. I've found that with this campaign look and feel, certain skills get a lot more airtime than others. For my group, observation, comtech, and manipulation are the most common that get rolled out. Other players and GMs I've spoken to have different sets of headline skills, but it feels common that a small subset of the overall skills list get banner attention. Clearly, if you want to min-max in a campaign of mine, you've got some clues which skills to head for. 
So why is this the case? I think there are two fairly obvious principal reasons. One, the skills list in Alien is minimalistic, with only 12. So therefore, the breadth of activities some of them have to cover is pretty extensive. Some, like the combat or piloting skills, or medical aid, are highly specific. And while you can broaden ranged combat to cover things like the knowledge of weapons and ammo, rather than just the ability to use them, that breadth is still narrow in comparison to some of the others. Take observation, for example. It's a key skill right off the bat. A lot of scenes start with, or rely on, or give the players the opportunity to spot something important. But in Alien, it can take on a wider role as well. There is no science skill. And while you can debate the merits of using Comtech or medical aid as substitutes for science, observation is not only called out by the talent of choice for a scientist PC, it just makes more sense than those other options. But it's odd that science, as a thing, relies on a skill called observation, that in the core book is all about what we would assume observation to be, and that's not doing science. There is only one tiny clue in the core book too. It's the only line that implies anything scientific in all the skills. And it says, you can use this skill, observation, when you spot an unknown threat of some kind, to learn more about it. And that's it, those last five words. But all I've proven here is why observation gets a lot of attention in my exploration and science-heavy game. But I think I do make my point that when you have a small number of skills, some will inevitably get used for PC actions that maybe don't comfortably fit under that heading. So what can we do about it? I think there are four angles we could consider. Number one, get over it. It works fine. Just crack on. Two, add more skills. Now, the skills question is not exclusive to Alien as other free league games also use just 12 skills. Tales from the Loop, Things from the Flood, Mutant to Year Zero and Verson. But I've never felt the lack of skills in those games as much as I have in Alien campaign play. The reason why I think is easy to see for Tales and Things, you're playing kids of one sort or another in a specific role-playing setting and genre, so you don't need to offer a full whack of skills. Well, a 12-year-old won't need them because she won't have access to them at that age. It's not so clear-cut for Mutant Year Zero and Verson, but then those genres don't need technology and Comtech in the same way. But all that said, it would be easy to homebrew another four skills to add to the alien mix, right? First and foremost, I'd add science to wits, and ta-da, my science problem is fixed. But what about the other attributes? They would all need a new skill too. You could add force under strength for feats of, well, strength. Right now I'd use stamina to cover that, but maybe that's not a perfect fit either. That leaves us with empathy and agility. We could add a thieving skill under agility, infiltration say, to cover lockpicking and pickpocketing, but I'm scratching about for a useful empathy option. I guess what I'm saying here is while it's tempting to add new skills, you might just be adding problems in one place as you fix problems in another. And it is a big homebrew compared to the rules as written, 
although other free league games make good use of a set of 16 rather than 12 skills. The third option, talents. Make greater use of talents. Now I'm pretty sure Matt's going to take the liberty of taking an issue with me over this, but I don't think this solves the problem for Alien as easily as I think he thinks it does. Yes, adding extra talents to give specialities is fine. In fact, it's a key role of talents in role-playing games. But on the whole, you will still need to stitch those talents to a specific skill for the dice pool to take forward those activities. And that brings us right back to the original problem. What activity should fall within the remit of what skill? At the least, we should probably more tightly define the breadth of skills, and then the talent could unlock an extra bit of the spectrum under a skill that that skill would not normally cover. I'm sure this approach could be made to work, but it feels really complicated to me. And would the benefit outweigh the effort? And it still begs the question, why not just add four new skills? And the fourth option. So lastly, I've been thinking about a method of using what we have already, but in a different way, to cover other skills. Different combinations of attribute and skill to deliver a different competency outcome. Let me offer a couple of examples. Earlier, we talked about force as a skill for a feat of strength. Well, instead of adding force as a skill, you could cross-combine mobility, say, you know, traditionally an agility skill, with strength, and it's that poorly role for a feat of strength. Or you could cross wits and medical aid for science work in the lab, or empathy and observation for the same, although I'm not sure that works terribly well, but it might work well for a counsellor-type role. I put this idea out there, although again it feels like it suffers from the same risk of complexity that the talent suggestion does. But it's there as a thought for GMs to have a think about, if it fits well for you. So to summarise all that, I don't think there is an easy way to manage this through the alien campaign around your table. But I also don't think that campaign suffers badly as a result. If pushed, I'd be inclined to look at adding four new skills as the most straightforward way to offer an expanding skill set for campaign play. But in my own games, I'm going to go with option one. Just suck it up and get on with having fun. Well, I agree. I agree with everything you say, David. Does that ever happen? <laughs> well, it does, just behind the scenes. You just pretend not to agree when we're actually recording the <laughs> podcast. But yeah, actually, yeah, yeah. you agree that, with that, everything. That, that's I've our persona, said. isn't it? We are the bickering <laughs> couple. Um, no, uh, well, I do have one point, though, uh, which mm-hmm. is... Uh, yeah, I you know you you rightly you rightly take away option one. Adding more skills is not the way to make a free league game better. While I do agree with your criticisms of Alien because it's based on really quite a narrow story. Yeah, uh, you know those out of all the all the different free league games these are the most focused shall we say skill descriptions there are yeah. which deal with a particular sort of story and we have found as you say a lot of observation roles being made in the campaign um because that seems to be you know what we spend we spend a lot of time looking at stuff <laughs> well and it covers just such a wide broad waterfront of things yeah that yeah. can come under it <clears throat> Uh, no, I was really missing yesterday a, a proper science role. And yeah, yeah, you know, Comtech might work as a science. But anyway, well, I there, just is, there, to... is, there is something I'll, I'll mention in a moment um, about science. 
which um, okay. but yeah carry on <clears throat> so but i you know i like you predicted in your essay i <laughs> will always say talents are the answer and in fact i think talents are the answer to your third option as well about rolling different um combinations of stat and skill of oh, the fourth the fourth option yeah <clears throat> yeah because that is in fact what already exists in the game and i was only reminded of this yesterday i didn't roll this yesterday uh, we were playing um uh, alien the colony last alien night, the colony yeah. uh, the episode we were playing was the wolf lives right here um and uh i i was looking yesterday at my stoic skill in case things went horribly wrong and I had to roll um, uh, stamina or survival or whatever it's called. Stamina, isn't it? Yeah. And and the stoic skill lets me roll stamina not with strength, but with wits, which is my main attribute. Yeah. And so that is precisely the sort of nuancing you can do. And you can, you know, you can limit it or control it by just saying, okay, let's create talents that say you can roll i don't know piloting on wits rather than movement because you're more of a navigator than you are a joystick operator or something like that yeah i and think so, I, I had overlooked actually that there are talents in there that that do swap the the um the attributes for your skills mm -hmm. um but i i think the conclusion i was coming to on that fourth option was that it doesn't really work very broadly there might be some specific opportunities or examples where it does work but actually, as a as an idea, just saying you can just mix and match those the attributes to any skill if you can justify how that works. Um, I don't think there's a lot of opportunity for that. So I wonder whether having those talents to deliver that still falls into that problem of there actually not being that many combinations that you could usefully do. Mm. Yes. Um, yeah. But yeah. Um, so talking about science, um, there'd been a, uh, a chat on Facebook uh, about this. And on that chat, I said, oh, funnily enough, I'm going to be talking about that on the podcast next week. And I ended up, I got a, a direct message from a, a guy called Chris, whose handle on Discord is, is Sayya. And mm -hmm. he had a really simple solution for that science problem, because we were talking about that. Um, he sent me this after I'd... I'd, I'd um, recorded the piece but so he's basically his homebrew solution is to replace the survival skill which doesn't get used very much with a science skill mm. um, and then survival becomes a talent that then allows you to roll on stamina or observation or whatever to give you a bonus in that kind of survival situation and actually i think as a as a neat little solution to that problem of having no science in in alien which actually, if you think about it, is a bit of a miss. Because yeah, yeah. in both Alien and Aliens, and particularly Alien, they are analysing, they are being, they're sciencing the shit out of the alien bits that they found in order to find a way of defeating it. Although, admittedly, in Alien, Ash is doing it as a cover rather than actually trying to help them. Um, yeah, but even so, Ash, uh, you know, Ash's sheer presence, one of the things that slightly... Um uh, upsets me and it, it obviously <laughs> ash is integral to the story so i'm not saying that ash upsets me because uh <laughs> spoilers everybody but ash ash is a major protagonist in the story um, <laughs> if but you if you haven't seen already. ash uh when you're first introduced to him 
you know, you've got all these space truckers and then along comes the science officer. And yeah. for me, I'm upset by that because I'm suddenly thinking, what, this guy's meant to be Spock? Um, and, you know, why is there a science officer on a tracker's vessel? Uh, yeah. But, yes, but there's a science officer is the point I'm making. So if there's a science <laughs> officer, how come there isn't a science skill? Yeah. So, so I think I think Chris's solution is a really good one. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, Interestingly, in advance of our game last night, where I was expecting that you might be in the water having your suits breached. Yeah. Um, you thought you'd let us keep survival. Um, <laughs> we I, needed to I, roll on it. I was thinking survival is the role you would make for patching up your suit that's been breached in an emergency. Mm. But otherwise, I mean, survival hasn't been used very much as a skill in probably any game I've run of Alien. Now, that might be my fault as a GM for not putting in situations that require a survival skill role. Um, but it's not one that leaps out as having great sort of no, wide utility. Um, mm. So I think uh, maybe that's a, a really elegant solution for that science problem. Because science, certainly in a campaign, and certainly in a campaign like the one that we are playing in, that I'm running, where it's all about exploration and science, that would be really helpful and handy. So I'd just like to say a big thanks to Chris for um, taking the time to send me that message and give me his thoughts. That was a really useful, really good conversation. No, and uh, sadly, you, you you didn't get them in time to claim them as your own idea. But uh... <laughs> no, well, I'm I'm not a credit grabber. I think <laughs> I think you probably know that by now. Um, okay, no, 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 no. I wouldn't accuse you of that. I did accuse you of that, but only for comedic effect. Although I did notice that on the um, Tales of the Old West um, version, you put your name out of alphabetical order first. So I'm not sure quite what that how that works, but. No, that's in reverse alphabetical order. And also because <laughs> it was my idea. <laughs> anyway, so, um, yeah, good. Um, hopefully that's given some food for thought for people. Uh, yeah, in running in running their campaigns. I think, you know, I'm not going to change anything in the campaign that we've got right now. But I think if I was going to run it again from, from scratch, I might go with changing survival into science mm-hmm. and find another way of managing survival when you needed it. Yeah, it could be the thing that, you know, if there was a campaign book, you know, it could be an official change possibly rather than a mm. house rule if, if we get the chance to, to do some of that. But anyway, moving on, mm. moving on, moving on. Moving on. Uh, it's, it's time for your homework now, isn't it? No, it's not time for my homework. We're not doing my homework because my homework is full of spoilers. Yeah, but it still makes it time for your homework, though, which means we need no, to... No, rap, no, rap. it's time for the end of the show, Dave. But the only reason it's time for the end of the show this early is because of your homework. We've been recording this for over half an hour. You know, this is... This is the, 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 yeah, okay. So our plan... Is, <laughs> anyway. Our homework is a little bit spoilery. So if you want to be guaranteed not to have anything spoiled, we're going to end the programme now. And you can just imagine... Yeah that you've listened to the whole show and go away in blissful ignorance. And this is Coriolis spoilers, just so you know. It's not oh, yeah, else. I should say, yeah, this is Coriolis, Coriolis spoilers, spoilers and particularly Mercy of the Icon spoilers and particularly, particularly the last cycling <laughs> spoilers. Um, so Any more particularly you want to throw in there? No, 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 I think, I think I've, got, I've gone as particular as we're going to do. And right. I've got to say, I've even tried to avoid major last cyclade spoilers, but I don't want anything i hint at in my bit of homework 
to be read by anybody as a spoiler who's going to be upset the fact that they've heard it. So yeah. we're going to end the show shortly. Um, and then after the credits have rolled, we're going to return to my homework. And maybe, Dave, you and I can have a bit of a chat about that. Yeah. Cool. So, so what are we doing what, next episode? Well, I think you've got uh, the interview with um, Pat Long about Change Stars and Diesel Shot. Yes, 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 I have. And have you got any homework? I don't think I have at the moment. Is there a... Um... Well, you know what? It's going to be pretty close to our fourth anniversary um, next time. It will be, won't it? Yeah, four years. Four years. Maybe this is the episode where we say, yeah, we got nothing. (laughs) (laughs) And we just spitball the rest of it. (laughs) Yeah, why not? Why not? This this is the episode where Dave and Matt talk about stuff to steal somebody else's podcast. Yeah, I, I do want to warn you that Ken and Robin spend a lot of time not only preparing what they talk about, but managing to edit each bit or you know what they say, prepare to do little 15-minute segments. Very organised they are. And what you're proposing is that we don't organise anything. I think we should just go for it. Yeah, actually, I, I do. I think it's like, if, it's, if it's really shit... We just dump it and then think of something quickly to talk about a more organised way. So nobody would ever know anyway. So Yeah, no, we could just say, and here's our interview with Pat. Yeah, exactly. That's all we're doing today. So cool. uh, well, that sounds good. That sounds good. Okay. Um, but I, I actually, I think what we should do is do a call out. If anybody, if any of our listeners has got something you would like uh, Matt and I just to, to, to chat about off the top of our head, any topics or any thoughts, fire them into us at the... Um, at the usual addresses, uh, our email is feedback at effect podcast effect with a K, of course, dot org. That's feedback at effect podcast dot org. And we'll talk about the stuff that you want us to talk about. Unless you don't send us anything, in which case we'll just make it up as we go along. Excellent. Jolly good. And cool. so the email address, do it, talk to us on Twitter, talk to us on Facebook as well. Yeah, we will we will look at all those things to find stuff to talk about in the next yeah. episode you can you can find me frequently on the alien discord uh, as well and the free league discord um or you can just dm us on on discord if you like yeah cool excellent excellent um and so, uh, uh where are we yeah so yeah we need to say goodbye now we do so it's uh, goodbye from you and it's goodbye from you <laughs> and may the icons bless your adventures You have been listening to The Effect Podcast, presented by Fiction Suit and the RPG Gods. Music stars on a black sea, used with permission of Free League Publishing. At many tables or virtual tabletops around the globe this past couple of years, there have been Many shootouts in the Garden of the Seekers on Coriolis. And many times, Brother Ramus has been shot, stabbed, or otherwise killed on that peaceful bridge at its centre. This garden, and many more like it across the horizon, are maintained by acolytes of the Circle of Seekers. But who are the Seekers. It is said that the Seekers could have become an important faction on their own, 
but for some reason chose not to. Instead, they are credited with being instrumental in the creation of the Church of the Icons, which is, remember, the Horizon's youngest faction, created after the arrival of the Zenith. But if that is the case, the Seekers did not hang around for long. Once the Church had a firm footing in the Horizon's politics, the Circle of Seekers retreated, or were they pushed out? The core book says, Today the Seekers have been marginalised, looked upon as wise ascetics and prophets, rather than actual figures of power within the faction. Being marginalised seems to suggest that it is something done to them, but I think it's more likely to be their choice. They are, after all, ascetic philosophers, dedicated to understanding the horizon and the innermost nature of the universe. Perhaps the hurly-burly of factional life is something they would prefer to do without. Perhaps they created the church specifically for that political purpose. That said, they do sometimes involve themselves in modern politics. The core book tells us that with a reputation for being skillful and neutral negotiators, they have often been called upon to end bitter conflicts. But such interventions are rare and at the request of at least one of the participants. Apart from this and the gardens they maintain, they keep themselves to themselves. So, where do they retreat to? According to the core book, Apart from scattered colonies and temples on Menau, they are strongest on Sadal, on Mira and her sister systems, and on Dabaran, where they have both the Temple of the Circle and a monastery school in Lotus, the Holy City. This last is their headquarters, as it were. The Temple City of Lotus is a bit like our Rome, an independently run city-state. The last Cyclade says, A mere fifteen years before the beginning of the Portal Wars, the Circle of Seekers, having tirelessly cared for the city's pilgrims through a tumultuous series of coups and usurpers, were entrusted with governing Lotus. That said, there is a schism in the Lotus City, according to one of the adventures in the last Cyclade. The Lotus Council is in the Ascendant, claiming to better represent icon worship across the Third Horizon. The idea of retreat, of separation from the rest of society, is a very important one in Seeker philosophy. According to the core rulebook, the title of Seeker is only awarded someone upon initiation into one of their monasteries, which are always shaped like circles. This reminds me of the Neil Stevenson novel Anathem, where each monastery is a series of concentric circles, and progress through the ranks of the monastic order is marked by moving into an inner circle, getting closer and closer to the centre of the monastery. I must admit, I have the same thought about the monasteries on Zalos, so perhaps the seekers and the order of the pariah share some commonalities. 
But what are the secrets held by the innermost circles of the circle of seekers? One thing not every seeker will publicly admit to is that their ascetics can manifest mystic powers. Importantly, they could even do so before the advent of the mystic's disease when people started manifesting such powers spontaneously. Is there a connection? Well, this is where we get into real spoiler territory. And if you don't already have an idea what I'm talking about, you might want to stop listening. Players who have participated in A Song for Jeruma may have worked out that the emissaries were scientists possessed at an incredibly long distance by people from the Second Horizon. These people are called the Symmetry or the Santulans. It may be that the Santulans are the leaders of the Symmetry. We are told that they fled the tyranny of the First Horizon and became the dominant political force in the Second. The Atlas Compendium tells us that the Circle of Seekers were originally a part of the Symmetry, and together they discovered several nodes in the Third Horizon which could create a mystical link between systems in a fashion that falls outside the technology and the methods used by the portal builders. Using the nodes, the Seekers could stay in contact with their mystic allies in the Second Horizon. It's one of these nodes, long thought destroyed by the forces of the First Horizon during the Portal Wars, that was used to possess the scientists on Zine. Which raises questions. The Seekers claim to have severed all connections with the Symmetry during the Portal Wars. But have they? Is that actually something they convince the other factions of to avoid being purged like the Nazarene sacrifice? The Lotus Council has split with the other Seekers because, they say, the Seekers are too wedded to older, second-horizon thinking. Are they really still in communication with the Symmetry? The last Cyclade says that after the loss of their observer at the Council, the Emissary, the Messenger, the Santulans, the Symmetry, instead strengthened the Children of the Song and are preparing their acolytes in the Circle of Seekers for the coming darkness. The mystics of the Third Horizon are being turned into a secret strike force for when Al-Ada once again shows its true face. Well, if that is true, it suggests that it's happening via these nodes. And if at least some nodes still exist, do the Circle of Seekers have an instantaneous communication network across the whole Third Horizon? Are they secretly manipulating the Church of the Icons from a distance? According to the last Cyclade, perhaps not, or rather, perhaps not as successfully as they had hoped. Quote, the Circle's leaders are becoming worried about the Church's submissive attitude when dealing with the hegemony and the consortium, it is becoming increasingly clear that the Seekers will have to start acting independently. If you are a GM running players who have opted to be part of the Circle of Seekers, what does all this mean for them? 
How much should they know? The idea of circles within circles and advancing through the monastic ranks mean they might have to purchase faction standing before being let in on these secrets. Maybe even faction standing isn't enough. Maybe, though, they could be surprised by fast communication across the horizon or offered a way of learning the mystic powers talent and a mystic talent appropriate of the circle, like thought transference or puppeteer. And consider, after the events of the last cyclade, what are the motivations of the seekers? Are they still in league with the symmetry? Or are they more loyal now to the people of the Third Horizon? What might they do with an army of mystics? Are they the new seekers? Okay, well, that's really interesting, Matt. It's... um. Uh, hopefully it's not too spoilery for anybody who's listened through, but there's obviously quite a lot of information going on in there. Um, it's interesting because the Seekers are, are a faction that I haven't really focused on at all. Um, obviously, I'm not running any of these uh, campaigns, so it, it's been something I've tried to largely try to avoid learning too much about. Um, but I, yeah, I, I got, I've got a couple of points, um, some perhaps more, <laughs> more uh, significant than others. Where, do, you, do you have a sense where they're, where they're going as a faction? Is this, uh, is this going to be a growing thing, do you think? Or Well, so um, the Seekers were relatively minor in the core book. You know, there's a yeah. couple of mentions of them, and that's about it. And they're there as a, as a sort of a bunch of monks or something, uh, for want of a better word, who were instrumental in setting up the Church of the Icons, but then kind yeah. of took a back seat to that. Uh, they become more important. Um, now, you, Dave, in our campaign, you have realised where the emissaries are coming from, I think. Yeah. And uh, uh, the Seekers are associated with them. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think uh, future, future, future things happening in Coriolis are not going to keep the horizon the same, the third horizon the same. It's not a thing in the status that you can drop in an adventure at any point. You know, no. Things change in Mercy of the Icons, and they particularly will be changing drastically in latter stages of this bit we're running in... Um, yeah. In, 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 oh, God, Cyclade. The last, last Cyclade. Last yeah. Cyclade. Um, so... <laughs> So I think they may become more important as a faction and maybe a faction on their own. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, I think it's interesting. I would draw a parallel between the Seekers and the Nazarene Sacrifice. Um, okay. Yeah, interesting. Because one of the things that struck my struck my ear listening to that was um, talking about you know, how their skill as negotiators. And I wondered whether there is there is there something in there where they are are rivals or competing with the Alarms Temple? The oh, I think are... absolutely. Yeah, and I and so this uh, this schism I mention in the um, yeah in Lotus City is kind of confusing actually because uh, Lotus City is now kind of not being run by the true Circle of the Seekers. It's um it's been kind of taken over by um by a sort of subsect 
of the okay. Legends of the Seekers, yeah. whose name I'm trying to remember. It's in. It's going to be in the recording when I record it, but I've, um, <laughs> I've uh, not done that. And they are called something like the Sisters of the Lotus. Right. And the Sisters of the Lotus sound awfully lot like they could be an Alarms faction. Like the Black Lotus. Yeah, exactly. The Assassins. And the I Lotus. don't know that they're not. I don't know whether that yeah. is unintentional um they're obviously they may be called sisters of lotus because they're based in lotus city but um yeah yeah it, it seems it seems a bit too coincidental for it to be totally a coincidence isn't it it's, yeah it's too yeah seeing they're very um, similar in some of their outlooks do they do they do the seekers have an assassin's arm to them no 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 no, no. but who's to say that alarm's temple is not actually a a branch of the, of the seekers yeah yeah <laughs> no interesting okay yeah that, that actually that's really interesting if that's if that's the case yeah um, <laughs> um and i don't know how it's all going to play out so i think our next adventure in the campaign will be set in lotus city um right and uh that's one of the reasons why i've been doing this sort of research on the seekers well also because i was realizing reading through um the last cyclade that I needed to gem up on that, and you know, um, our, our listeners needed to have a primer if they're thinking of running that, so they can yes. understand who this faction are. Because you know, they're not represented as a faction, but I think they are a faction. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> so there's that, and the other, the other actually interesting thing is, do you remember your first character in Coriolis? You you picked on the um, not the Alarms Temple, the uh, the. Sacrifice Nazarene, of Nazarene, sacrifice. Yeah. and you said, "Oh, I think I might be a, a proponent of that." Well, in Millie's version of um, the Emissary Lost campaign, which is being run on the Free League Twitch channel, and also later on published on Millie's um, podcast and on uh, YouTube, mm -hmm. one of her players um, uh, said, "Oh, I think I might be from the from the Circle of Seekers." Okay. In a sort of offhand way, and and yeah. really came to me and said, "What do you know about the Circle of Seekers?" And I said, "Well, funny enough, nothing, but I am planning on looking at it." <laughs> cool. um, so she's already seen most of this text, actually, because I've already passed it to her in case it was useful. Right, um, nice. But yeah, I think I think our listeners would like to know a bit more. You know, pulling together all the tiny little bits about the Circle of Seekers. To be honest, I think I know more about the Circle of Seekers now than we do about the Draconites. Right. Okay. Cool. So the the real mystery faction are still the Draconites. <laughs> right, which I guess is uh, that that keeps you feeling it. You know, keeps you happy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if you want secrecy, the Draconites are there for you to know nothing about. I did have one other question that popped to mind. Um, why Why do the Seekers maintain all these gardens? What's the point? What's the purpose well, behind all of that? So I have a theory about that, uh, which is possibly I, I've kind of hinted at it in the thing but mm. i wonder whether the gardens of the circle of the seekers are a relatively instant communications network so generally mm. we don't have fast and light communications in the third horizon no um but i think it's possible that the seekers do um yeah. because if they can communicate with the second horizon across these nodes, we didn't. We thought all the nodes had been destroyed, but in fact, the emissaries came from one of these nodes that's in yeah. the heart of Zine. Um, 
maybe, you know, a message can get transmitted from the far side of the horizon to Zine and then to the nearest garden of the Circle of Seekers. And that's it's not going to be instant communication, but it could be a way of it's meeting really far off it, yeah. To uh, to pass secret messages uh, faster than anybody else can do it. And it's a way of having mm. acolytes spread around the horizon doing a seemingly innocent job but maybe being part of a trans-horizon communication network. Yeah. That's my theory. Yeah. And it's probably, cool. in our version of the horizon, it's going to be what's true. But you, as a player, you know nothing, Dave. No, no, that's fine. Yeah, I get that. Don't start going but... to the Garden of the Seekers and saying, I want to play a call, please, to mirror. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, indeed. But yeah, it did strike me that, you know, for very few factions, I guess, uh, in, in Coriolis would... Do horizon-wide horticulture for the fun of it. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, it's got my, yeah, got so, my um, suspicious mind going. Exactly, I think you're right to be suspicious because these are guys who retreat. Um, you know, they're not particularly proselytizing. So why have they built these gardens in all these places? Why do they, you know, spend some sort of resource, uh, even if they're only like the most minor members of the factions, sweeping these gardens and doing the gardening? Yeah. I, yeah, I think I think there's a reason for the circles. <laughs> Something smells fishy, yes. and I'd like to think it. And also, you know, so I have a uh, a thing. I don't like um, faster than light communication generally in role play in science fiction role playing games because for me, part of a role playing game is going to places and talking to people. Yeah, and if you can talk to people without going to places. Then, then you don't need to go to places, do you? So, you don't need uh, to go to places, exactly. Especially so, not when it's very expensive and takes a lot of, you know, a long time and effort and risk and danger and all the rest of it. Yes, but, you know, what What I think this this would, you know, sometimes it's it would be convenient to have news spread faster than the usual speed of travel in a game. And this is a way for that news to spread faster. But you still have to go to a garden of the Circle of the Seekers to... Uh, to go there so you still have to go and talk to somebody it's not like you can phone somebody up like we can with our mobile phones nowadays yeah uh, absolutely so so i kind of this this if this is a form of fast and light communication then it's one that i think i will accept in my role-playing game right okay cool good stuff excellent work Right then. Well, uh, I think that's probably brought us to the conclusion again um yeah we can say goodbye again we can. Um, so, yeah. So next time, interview with Pat and us talking off the top of our heads. Yes, that's such a crazy good idea. And you're going to be on holiday anyway, so it's not like you're going to be able to prepare anything. No, I'm not going to have much. Well, I might be able to, but I couldn't guarantee. Yeah. But yes. So, so um, it's again for the second time this time. It's goodbye from him. And it's goodbye from me. And may the icons bless your adventures. <laughs>